Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 80. Today's guest is Mark St. Hill, an agency M&A expert. Now, if you're an agency owner, you're thinking about selling either now or at some point in the future. Mark is going to talk about the main things you need to consider if you want to sell and why market conditions and timing are really key. He also talks about what's most attractive to a potential buyer and the actual process of selling. And we also discuss the future and why agencies need to keep evolving their services to keep ahead of changing data protection rules and helping clients explore different advertising channels. And loads more. I really enjoyed my chat with Mark and I hope you do too. Let's go to the intro now. So today we're covering a topic that I haven't spoken about before. It's mergers and acquisitions. And I'm really thankful to have Mark St. Hill with me. Mark is managing partner for M&A at Cactus. Cactus is the UK's leading corporate advisory and growth consultancy for agencies. And Mark has a lot of experience in this area. He spent over 15 years in the media and marketing services sector. He's worked in-house for agencies and as a consultant to agency owners, and has acted both from a buyer and a seller side in corporate finance transactions. So big welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Jenny. I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you so much for agreeing to it, Mark. I think I'm going to learn a lot. So would you mind starting off just spending a couple of minutes talking about you, your background, and how you ended up advising agencies on M&A? Yes. Well, I didn't originally think about going into M&A itself. I did a business degree, worked in the advertising media world, which I really enjoyed. So I worked at firms like Mediacom and Cake. So I always loved working in agencies, but I realized if I wanted to move into a management role, I'd have to have a kind of qualification and accounting was something I was always good at. I was always good at numbers. So I got trained as well, trained myself as an accountant and started working in agencies as a management accountant and worked my way up. So I spent five years, I guess, of my agency career in Ogilvy in various commercial finance roles working with a lot of account management people and yeah, working on kind of global client accounts. And I spent, yeah, after about five years, I just realized I wanted to see a world outside WPP and use my finance and accounting skills to help founders and spend more time with them rather than kind of internal finance teams, which is what kind of often happens in big corporates. So yeah, so I've been doing kind of M&A advisory for about six or seven years now. And yeah, I left WPP and joined a small M&A consultancy and kind of learned the ropes and, you know, been on some great, great journeys with agencies, sold a great number of companies and done more of the kind of softer side. So the growth advisory, which is a sort of management consulting approach to helping agency scale. So not just the bean counter. I'd like to think. And yeah, so joined Cactus a year ago and yeah, focus on M&A and selling businesses mainly. So Brilliant. Okay. Sounds like you've got a lot of experience. Before I dive into the questions about M&A, you said that you were commercial finance at WPP and worked with a lot of account managers. 
Yeah. Now I'm going to throw you a curveball question because obviously a lot of account managers listen to this podcast. And can you tell me what's the one thing that you think account managers could be doing better in their role to have more of a commercial mindset? Um, embrace finance and embrace your finance team, I'd say, rather than, I know it's, it's, it's all, it was always boring and I could always see kind of the account managers rolling their eyes every month when we had to come round and review the accounts, but better to make use of them than to try and kind of escape them, I'd say. So the finance team, hopefully you've got a good commercial finance support within your organisation to give you the right information to be better at managing your clients and the resourcing. If you don't, try and ask them to hire one okay <laughs> so you, make- can't, you can't expect us to be good at finance or everything because it's a very you know what i learned about account management was you had to have so many different skill sets and hats on that you can't ever be expected to do everything so the best ways i worked with them were those kind of account management or client services that we had a good relationship and they probably took a disproportionate amount of my time but it ultimately helped their accounts Great. So make commercial finance people your friend in your agency. That's the takeaway. All right. So what are some of the most common reasons that agency owners come to you for your M&A help? Often they want to understand the value of their business today and how do they grow value in their business and what's the path to exit. So we often look at growth options because there's not necessarily one route. Obviously, there's lots of businesses that are ready to sell and just want support through that process and finding the best buyer and the best deal. Sometimes we have agencies that need to restructure. Either there's shareholders that are looking to exit or they're merging another business into theirs. And then sometimes we help businesses or agencies acquire other smaller agencies. So yeah, a number of reasons around really their kind of growth options for them and just considering how they get the most value out of their agency. And do you find, Mark, because obviously I know that you network with an awful lot of agency owners, you spend most of your time with agency owners. Would you say that most agency owners have an exit goal or plan? A mixture, really. I think some people love running their agencies and never kind of feel like they'd ever sell them. I think when times are tough, often they look and go, do I want to do this alone? And I think, you know, lockdown and COVID kind of put a lot of agency owners, you know, either their agencies in difficulty or put huge amounts of stress on them. You know, and when you reach a certain age, maybe, or life events and you have kids, you want to have this kind of plan in mind, or you realise that you can't grow your agency beyond where you've got it and you need to be part of a bigger group. So it's not necessarily all about money. But yeah, often people are kind of stuck in the weeds of survival rather than planning ahead. And they tend to not think about selling until they feel like they've hit certain metrics but yeah no there's always half the people kind of have an exit in mind definitely and I suppose I mean there's lots of books and resources around building your company from the beginning as if you're going to sell even Mm. if you don't have the intention to sell do you think that's generally good advice yeah I mean I think it's useful to have well first of all it's good to have a really kind of concrete plan (laughs) for whatever reason that is but I think yeah some people kind of start an agency organically because they've left and they've wanted to run their own thing and it's just 
sort of grown. But I think having an exit in mind is useful and what kind of scale you get to. I think you do need to have flexibility in the plan and always be considering whether what you're doing is working. I think you'll find out from your clients and your success and your growth. And if those things are working really well, there'll be buyers who want to acquire your business. So I think as long as the fundamentals of your business are strong, there will be buyers who will come knocking on your door. You might have to do a bit of marketing and, and sort of brand awareness, but you'll know you're on the road to success when people start knocking on your door. But realistically, it won't be before you've reached, you know, a million and a half, two million revenue where you've, you know, your agency's reached a size that's it's going to be kind of additive to their group. Gotcha. Okay. That's really useful to know. So if someone's listening to this and they think, no, I absolutely want to sell my business, what advice would you give? Because, you know, some people probably think, well, look, I know I'm a good five to 10 years off actually doing it. But what would you say are the core things that they need to either consider or put in place so that they're building it? And at the point that they do want to sell it, it becomes easier. Mm, yes, it's a good question. I mean, timing is everything and it's quite hard. You've got to time. You need a crystal ball, essentially, slightly, because you don't know when the market's going to shift when competitors are going to come in, whether there'll be a change in the kind of media landscape. So, you know, you always have to be prepared for kind of change in the industry, but expect the journey to be, you know, five years plus and for it not to be a kind of linear growth or hockey stick, as some people might hope. And so you'll go through a number of these kind of hurdles of growth and you'll have to restructure your business, restructure the kind of clients you go after and your proposition. So just be prepared that it will take a few more years and great if you can get it done sooner. And then once you're ready to sell, remember the exit process and getting ready will take a year and the sale. And then you'll be tied in for three years, probably two to three years into any acquirer. So consider that as part of, you know, realizing the value for your agency. Okay, interesting. And how much bearing does the market have? Because I hadn't actually considered that. I was thinking it could be any time. But you obviously are very in tune with what's happening in the market at the moment. And would you say that there's moments in time that you've seen that this is a really good time? And if so, why? Like from a market perspective? Yes, I think kind of emerging technologies or kind of new media. I mean, TikTok's a good example of, I think if you're working on TikTok and you're one of the, you know, a creative studio for TikTok, you'd be hitting a really good sweet spot in the market at the moment. There's also, you know, there's not much appetite for consumer facing agencies for obvious reasons. So B2B is very strong. So there are things where, you know, it's the economy, it's technology, it's regulation. I mean, at the moment, you know, Facebook or Meta, their advertising models not in a good way. So, you know, those kind of businesses aren't going to be performing well and it's not going to be as attractive to buyers. But, you know, you do need to focus on the fundamentals of your business. So, you know, making sure you've got a kind of niche, interesting offering for your clients, but something that would fit within a a group. So we talk about commoditized services versus something that's a bit more kind of scarce or unique. But a lot of the time being a kind of services business, it's all about the leadership team and the people and what you built and your culture. Because if that doesn't work for a buyer, whatever services you're providing, they'll be put off and often it will kill the deal. So many questions I've got written down. Can we go back a step to what you said about Facebook and Meta, like the ad model? What's broken about the ad model? Tell me a bit more about that. 
Well, I mean, ever since kind of GDPR and these kind of data privacy rules have come in, it is all around the ability to target audiences. And essentially, Apple have also blocked or asked their users to allow or not allow their data to be tracked. And most people, more than half, I think 70, 80% of people have now blocked uh, Facebook being allowed to track their activity or track who they are. So that wealth of data that they use to target users or audiences has gone. And also they've been fined at the beginning of this year, I think it's something like 400 million by the EU over, you know, not using well, using customer data in the wrong way. So advertisers have already seen a huge drop in performance of Meta, and that's, you know, across Facebook and Instagram. So they're going to have to scramble to be able to better target audiences and get results for the advertisers. Otherwise, that money's just going to move away. So this, you would say, is impacting the more kind of social media agency leanings. Like the agencies now that are mostly doing Facebook mm. advertising and social paid search, they're the ones that are being affected by this. Yes, exactly. I mean, unless they've got a multi-channel approach, if they're very heavily reliant on Meta to do their paid social, I mean, e-commerce, I mean, it's been obviously huge for kind of e-commerce brands to use that channel to drive sales. So yeah, that's probably one example of where that model, the advertising model is going to have to change or agencies are going to have to find other workarounds. Do you know any examples of any agencies that have had to do a workaround? And if so, what are those workarounds? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a growth marketing agency that I uh, interviewed on the Agency Nomics podcast recently. There's never a single channel. It depends what the client is. It depends what the outcomes they're trying to get, the audiences they're trying to reach. So, you know, obviously TikTok is great for for younger audiences. There's a lot more buying across connected TVs now. There's a lot more audience segmentation. Pinterest is also much more shoppable. And Shopify as an e-commerce platform is also building up their own first-party data. So there's lots of different channels that agencies can now use to buy media. It's just a question of you know, picking the right channel and being an expert in that channel. So that's great advice, actually, for any social media agency listening, performance marketing agency listening that want to kind of steer their client in the right direction. It's all about finding out what their outcomes are and then perhaps taking a wider view of what they could do differently, different channels. The other thing you said was, you know, we were talking about sort of the optimum time to sell or what an agency owner has to have in place. And you said if they have a niche offering, is it a niche as in an industry vertical or is it kind of more of a horizontal service niche? It could be one or other or both. I think, you know, the agency world is so competitive. I think you can't be a jack of all trades at all. I think you either decide to, you know, go after particular consumers, whether it's kind of, you know, the millennials or Gen Z now. I'm a, probably a millennial and I'm quite old. Um, or you look in healthcare or you look in b2b specific areas of b2b are helpful and then i guess with services you know there are you know i mean i guess it's, it's quite hard to be full service unless you have significant scale so if you're focusing on kind of creative you know be a very good creative studio so i think yeah for your clients and for your focus and your efficiency it's better to be very clear and try and have a kind of simple service offering avoids you kind of failing all your clients or not being clear who you best work with, I guess. 
I suppose it's like the old principles of niching, isn't it? You know, the more niched you are, the more expert you appear and the more you can charge, et cetera. But the other thing you said about was selling your business. You know, a lot comes down to the leadership, the people and the culture. Can you talk to me a bit around that? Like, what do you see is, I don't know, you know, for acquiring businesses, what are they looking for specifically? Or is that part of your role to match the cultures? And if so, what are you looking for? And how do you decide whether that potentially could be a good fit? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there's no shortcut. It's a two-way process when you're selling an agency and introducing the founders to buyers. It's a two-way thing. And it comes to a point when actually the buyer needs to kind of work quite hard to impress the sellers that it's the right fit. And there's, you know, things like considering how the businesses will fit together, you know, protecting the team and making sure they don't get subsumed. And, you know, there's opportunity for growth and cross-selling of clients. So usually it's as much as, you know, do you get on and are you having good conversations and you sort of your philosophy about running companies and looking after teams is aligned it's you know chemistry i guess kind of and you'd expect if at a leadership level if there's a fit that should filter down into the rest of the business but they'd also want kind of breadth of leadership team and quality of those leaders in terms of experience which would ultimately fill gaps in the acquiring group so it's a bit of a combination of you know experience and that kind of chemistry and fit I'm going to admit something. I haven't got a good experience of being involved in an M&A because when I was at Publicist Life Brands, I was general manager and it was essentially a reverse takeover. It was positioned as a an acquisition, but that cultural fit was not a fit. And so I actually left as a result. So that didn't happen. That kind of maybe getting to know each side, spending the time to see and evaluate whether it's a good fit. Would you advise, I mean, to make sure that no one has to go through what we went through, what would you advise is the best way of assessing fit? How long does it typically take? What are the parameters? Are there any particular things that you do to really make sure that it's genuinely a good fit? Yeah, another good question. I mean, ideally, what you have as you're growing your business, you're understanding who your potential buyers could be and and who's complementary to your agency, and you know, partner with them and try and do a project with them, and hopefully that that would lead to you spending more time with their team and your team spending time with their team. Because once you get into an M and A process, you don't really want to be telling your team that's going on because it will be very disruptive. So you know, the key staff will be introduced through a process, but the rest of the team, you know, you don't really want to say. So I think the perfect M&A transaction is that, you know, it starts from these two agencies work really well together. There's a really good fit. We've worked on some great projects together. We've helped each other. Now let's just let the advisors and the lawyers thrash out a deal and, you know, let's work together as soon as possible. So as soon as it becomes a financial transaction, there's less of that kind of obvious sort of synergy. So it would be a warning sign if it wasn't addressed up front in terms of that kind of cultural fit. That's a really good shout, actually. That's a really good piece of advice. You know, do a test project together, work together, because you're going to see a lot in a short period of time. And obviously you can make up a project to work together on. And I suppose, do you find that, you know, a lot of agencies who perhaps don't have all of the skill sets partner with other agencies? Is that usually a trigger to start thinking about, oh, you know, we work so well together and actually we're complementary. Why don't we come together in some way do you find that happens a lot 
Yeah, a mixture really. But yes, I think agencies now need to, now that there's so many kind of services that are required by these big clients. And that's another reason that kind of M&A happens is you reach a size and really what clients are looking for is one agency that offers all the different services rather than having to manage multiple agencies so it starts as a bit as sort of a bit of smoke and mirrors but you you know the bigger agencies do pull together other agencies to be able to answer the entire brief so it is obviously very common it's just not often do kind of small agencies like having to kind of work into a bigger agency because they never get paid on time and they never get never get the fees they want so but as you say it's helpful if that kind of relationship is tested at least to see whether it's worth, you know, continuing a partnership. Definitely, absolutely. What do you find are the kind of biggest mistakes that people make when they kind of start on this journey of looking to merge or acquire? I mean, maybe start with, well, whichever one you want to start with. Uh, merging. So, yeah, merging businesses together is obviously quite difficult because they've got to be sort of, equal in some way but you don't really want to be in a position where you've got a deadlock of two businesses and two equal stakes there usually has to be one that is the majority owner and controller otherwise there tends to be kind of paralysis by kind of making decisions so on the merger side it has to be you know it has to be an absolute slam dunk otherwise you know you either never come to an agreement or if it happens the business doesn't succeed together because of the differences so they've got to have a very aligned journey together and potentially when that exit would be and that's actually the same with acquiring a business you know you don't want to acquire someone who's going to disappear in a year you really want someone who's kind of hungry to work with you as part of the buying group rather than just be kind of sailing off into the sunset with some money. So, yeah, that's always important. Yeah. Okay. Who's buying right now? Like, is it usually typically big agency groups? Is it tech companies? Is it management consultancies? What trends are you seeing in terms of acquisitions? Probably in marketing, there's, the, I mean, I guess marketing and IT as well. I mean, there's lots of private equity-backed groups of very different scales some small you know buying agencies that are a million two million revenue and then you know very very big private equity houses that are backing you know businesses with hundreds of millions so they are set up with you know a buy and build strategy in mind to scale groups fill in capability gaps and then move it on to the next private equity house so they know how to do MA and it's a very professionalized you know, process. So that's a big kind of group. There's also a lot of cross-border M&A happening, you know, just businesses. We sold a business to a US group from the UK, which worked and then one from UK to France. So I think where there's a geographical need, that makes the rationale very easy. So sometimes doing kind of M&A within the same market can work and sometimes there's problems with it but yeah i think there's lots of emerging groups in kind of all kind of specialisms whether it's digital or, or creative or luxury or b2b that you know despite the environment and you know interest rates there's still a lot of private equity money so i'd say that's the strongest part i mean the tech giants you know they acquire kind of niche technology rather than services businesses but in the consultancy side you know with accentures and 
some of the big IT consultancies, they're always looking, but they're looking for big acquisitions that are going to, you know, move the needle or something very niche. So it's unlikely you'll be bought by Accenture unless you're, you know, over 100 people, given their obvious size and scale. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Before I go on to the last kind of tranche of questions about the future and the agency landscape, can you just describe the steps that you go through? You said the majority of agency owners come to you and one of the first things they want to know is how much is my business worth? Mm. But after that step, like how do you work out what the value is? And then what's your process for working with them? Yeah, those crude metrics are around revenue and profit, but there's lots of qualitative points that decide. So usually an acquirer will look at the business based on their profit, usually on a services business, and come up with a multiplier based on the quality of that business and the management, the services, all those factors. And then it will be based on their margins. So if they're doing more than 30% margins, that's a driver of valuation. If they're growing very quickly, and if they've got a very scalable model in an interesting part of the market, that all drives a kind of higher valuation. So we'd look at that as the basis of how the business is valued and then really focus on which buyers would be the best strategic fit and cultural fit. But often they come from different directions. So whether it's geographical or whether it's the complementary business or agency in the UK. So we tend to pick a selection and see which ones the seller, you know, finds the most attractive. Because it's not just the headline financial valuation. It's what would their roles be within that group? What is the ability for that buyer to help accelerate that growth and deliver that growth? And, you know, I always like to think that people would want a future role in that group beyond the earnout or beyond when they sell the business. So I think that's a good sign for when you feel like, you know, where it's going to be a good transaction is that there is a role for them that will be excited about going forward. Do you get any resistance to that? Because I'm just kind of thinking if, let's suppose I'm an entrepreneur with an agency owner that's working, you know, on my own for 15 years growing the business, and then I get acquired by a bigger group. Do you find that those entrepreneurial type people end up settling into a role, which is effectively an employee again? Mm -hmm. I know they've got a big fat paycheck, so that might be a good sweetener, but you're still having to kind of from doing your own thing, making your own decisions, suddenly the confines sometimes of a group. How do you find that transition? Yeah, I'm sure they find it difficult. I mean, losing control of their baby and their agency and and having to kind of you know, operate under different ownership is difficult. And I think some people are inertly entrepreneurial and they don't like to work in big corporates. So they probably already got their mind on what their next business idea is and their next, you know, the business is going to start. So either that buyer has to find a role within their group that enables them to do that, or they have to accept that they're going to have to find a, you know, the management team to take on the responsibilities that they had. So I don't think, you know, a buyer can expect that they're going to make that founder happy or kind of create a role for them. It's, um, you know, I guess everyone's pragmatic that some people might want to have a couple of years off or they might want to start a new business. So, yeah. Again, having come from a group like Publicis where they were very acquisitive, 
you know, I saw it multiple times with different characters coming and going. You wrote a really good post on LinkedIn, Mark, and I would recommend anyone follow you on LinkedIn because I really enjoyed reading your posts. And you were talking about sort of the agency landscape and also what's coming up for agencies in the future. And I'd love it if you could just talk to us about, you know, what you see, what you're seeing, what's changing, what should agency owners and account managers be aware of in this evolving landscape? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel like I've got the kind of in-depth knowledge of kind of future technologies. But um, no, I, I mean, I think I'm always interested to see what new agencies pop up, how, you know, brands and agencies adopt those technologies. I mean, I think, you know, obviously there's AI and chat GPTs popped up, you know, sort of out of nowhere. And that's going to be disruptive. And we talked about Web3 for the whole of last year. And there was sort of mixed signals about how that's going to affect agencies and to what extent they could, you know, adopt some of those technologies and, you know, create new revenue streams. But I think the example of chat GPT was great because we've been talking about AI for a few years and it crept up very quickly. Yeah, didn't it? (laughs) So I think you've either got to have someone in your agency that loves exploring them, sharing ideas. You know, you used to have, you know, the head of digital that used to love all things kind of digitally related um, that would kind of impart the wisdom on the future of the industry. But it's even more important now. So I think, you know, I think it's really about we talk about a cactus and planning with agencies around the now, the next and the future. And I think you do need to not start a new agency or switch off all your traditional revenue streams but at least start considering experimenting innovating exploring the new technologies and and obviously clients are so busy they don't have time to understand how they work or how to adopt them so you know that should be part of your relationship with them to impart your wisdom and knowledge on them too so I really want to reiterate what you've just said I think it's really great advice if you can find one or two ambassadors in your agency that are really switched on and really keen to keep ahead of what's happening with the changes and the trends, then, you know, you could start with internal learning, having lunch and learn sessions where everyone's been brought up to speed with what's happening. Because you're right, the chat GPT thing really took us by surprise, didn't it? All of a sudden, I've got it open most of the time. I don't know if you're using it, but I just find it so useful. I mean, do you think It might be an unfair question. Do you think this is going to disrupt copywriting agencies or any particular type of agency? I think it will disrupt anything to do with business or professional services. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's quite scary to see the power of it. I mean, this is only kind of version one. So I think if you can embrace it, it can create huge efficiencies. So it can rewrite code, simplify code. So the whole kind of development and engineering side of the digital world is it could be you know is potentially significantly disrupted as well as kind of creative services when they bring in image and they bring in video and you know beyond copywriting it's going to be yeah i'm already speaking to agencies that are cutting out design time video time and finding ways of creating kind of rapid content through these tools so yeah it'll be interesting to see how it's regulated (laughs) if it's all possible i mean I've read, listened to a few podcasts about it and it's it is sort of open source, but someone must own some of the intellectual property that's being used. So we'll, we'll see. I don't think it's possible to regulate it. I think we just have to embrace it and see how you can help your clients with it, whether it's reducing time, reducing cost, 
um, you know, or efficiency within the agency. So I think it still needs a human touch, but I think it'd be the wrong thing to ignore it or not embrace it, definitely. It'll be interesting to see what happens. As you say, if it's cutting down production time, that's going to potentially have an upside on profit margins. But if then you're passing on that cost to the client or that saving to the client, then procurement teams are going to start getting more used to seeing, you know, we're talking over a period of time. Mm. And then maybe that's going to ultimately squeeze the agencies at the front end again when they're pitching. So yeah, it's going to be a very interesting thing. Any thoughts on the metaverse? Because that was something also I know Cactus was talking about last year together with Web3. Yes. I mean, I think it's sort of born out of the kind of gaming industry and, you know, interactive worlds. I mean, I think it's kind of merged into kind of e-commerce and other digital experiences but i don't think there's a high level of adoption for well certainly people of my age but you know i think there's a place for it alongside you know physical experiences but i think ultimately there's going to be you know the google glasses and the overlaying of you know ar and experiences rather than us being locked into these kind of virtual worlds so i think it has been overhyped but i think it's still at a stage where there is a lot of adoption to happen. I mean, Facebook have been giving away Oculus headsets. I mean, the fact is they're still quite expensive. So unless we're able to experience the metaverse in a kind of high quality environment with our phones or some kind of affordable headsets, it's going to be a long time before there's going to be mass adoption. Yeah, good point. Final question. If someone's listening to this and they've been thinking, oh, you know, I think I'm well niched. I think we've got a very specialist area of expertise and I've been considering selling. If they're going to approach you, what information should they have ready just to open up conversations with you? Good question. I mean, I think I think what we usually do is start with a questionnaire that we let them go away with that talks about their personal ambitions as well as their business ambitions. And I think there's, you know, your valuation expectations, what kind of money you're looking for, and then we can work out whether it's achievable to sell in the short term or there's still more work to do. So it's aligning kind of personal and shareholder ambitions with what's realistic around, you know, the quality of the business and and the valuation of it. Great advice. And just final question. Have you got any parting words of advice, something that we haven't talked about that you think would be valuable for agency owners to consider or think about when it comes to M&A? That's a really good question. I should have lots. I think consider M&A as part of your business planning, even if you're not going to exit. Make sure you write a business plan and consider that if you're looking to grow, one way could be to partially sell your business through private equity and have another event there isn't a sort of one-stop route to sell your business and that's it so i think understanding your options as part of your business planning and every year or every six months consider that it could be a good route to growing or realizing more value rather than just waiting until you think you're ready to sell and then trying to push the button then um, I'd say, uh, yeah, I'd say that's very good advice. <laughs> very good advice. Mark, thank you so much for joining me. You've shared lots of interesting information. I've been scribbling down notes as we go. I've learned a lot. So thank you so much. If anyone wants to talk to you about this, what's the best way of contacting you? Uh, yeah, get me on LinkedIn or my emails on the Cactus website. And, you know, yeah, we'd love to meet 
agency founders. It's always a joy to meet these entrepreneurs and hear their kind of challenges and successes. So yes, please reach out if you want to have a chat. All right, Mark. Thank you. We'll leave your contact details on the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jenny. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Mark. And if you want to know what your agency could be worth, or if now could be a good time to sell, contact him on LinkedIn at Mark St. Hill, or perhaps get in touch with one of the team at Cactus. And their website is cactus, which is C-A-C-T dot U-S. And finally, if you have an account manager in your team, or perhaps you are an account manager and you're looking to upskill, then my next agency account accelerator training program starts on March the 28th, 2023. Now, this program has been running since 2016 and I've been iterating it over the years and it is fully designed to help you systematically add more value to your clients and grow your accounts. And I'm going to leave you with Richard Crooks at Purpose Media. Richard sent his team on the accelerator. They took action on what they learned. And this is what he had to say about the program. I'll see you on the next one. I mean, the results, Jenny, have been massive, I would say. I think one is the confidence of the individuals to have the right conversations and have a structure to those conversations, which then gives them the confidence. I think that's massive. I think also the hard skills and the soft skills complement each other because if you've got the tools, you're more confident to have the conversations. And that certainly happened. I've been a super boost for us and individuals involved because what we've required of them, they've now been given the tools and confidence to deliver. Our key objective was to retain our existing clients and and grow existing clients. And without a shadow of doubt, that's happened. So from a business point of view, you know, we succeeded in what we tried to achieve. And both Matt and Emma, you know, being a massive asset to the business in terms of bringing in new business. Now things are picking up, you know, we can apply those similar skills to winning new business. So, so, so it's the, the plan has been delivered, so to speak. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha